timing were right there. So um, we're going to continue to try to get better. And it's not like it's massive leaps and bounds that we got to find. It's, it's really just a couple little things here and there. So um, we've got a great group, a lot of guys that care, and um, obviously a great coach. So we're, uh, we're going to continue to build here in Raleigh and um, try to put a product for our fans that uh, they're proud of. This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. The Canes Corner Podcast is part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Adam Gold. Welcome to the Canes Corner Podcast. I am Adam Gold. And I told you that I wouldn't be gone very long, so here's what's going to happen today. Uh, we're going to do a little post-mortem on the hurricane season, and we're going to be joined by Sarah Sivian from The Athletic, Too Much Men, the podcast, um, has done obviously very well and has gone national with the Dan Lebitard family of podcasts, and that's great. Corey Lavalette, North State Journal covers the Hurricanes, editor of that uh, online newspaper. And uh, Corey knows, man, as much about hockey as anybody I know. Um, and Corey is somebody that I uh, I tap into on a regular basis for information about rules and players, and we talk all the time. Uh, and quickly back to Sarah. Um, creative, fun, uh, smart not afraid, and if I could just pull from her most recent bag of jerks column, which is very, very clever, um, she does ask really good, really short, open-ended questions, which is something that all people in this business can learn from. I am as guilty of it as anyone, maybe more. We tend to be afraid to ask the question without letting them know that we get the subject matter. Um, Sarah's not afraid to just ask it open-ended, like, hey, I want your answer. I know I don't have to give you mine, uh, but Sarah's got uh, already done, is doing very well, obviously, and has an incredibly bright future uh, in this business. And uh, you should check her out on The Athletic. Uh, and again, Corey Lavalette, North State Journal. So a couple of things we're going to get to is what went wrong, and I want really it to be about these guys. Uh, I'll give you a couple of quick thoughts on that. What went wrong uh, in the playoffs is I don't think Carolina got unlucky. Uh, I think they got power played to death. 45-22 total power play goals for and against. Uh, or against and for. I mean, no, actually, I'm sorry. The 45 is uh, over the last four years. My, my, my apologies. They didn't give up 45 power play goals this postseason. Played 14 games. But they gave up way too many power play goals. They gave up 13 power play goals in 14 games. That's, you just can't win. Cannot win. No chance. Uh, so ultimately, they got beat by that. Um, five on five, they were just as good. They were probably better. They might have beaten the Rangers had they not hit in so many posts. Um, but I think we're finding out the Rangers are damn good. And the Rangers have the best, you know, one of the best two goalies in the league. So, Carolina didn't lose because of their goaltending. They might have lost because of the Rangers' goaltending, if we're being honest. 
Uh, Carolina could have scored goals in Game 4, didn't. Could have scored more than, what, one goal in Game 3, didn't. And a lot of that is Igor Shesterkin. Um The Hurricanes got great goaltending in the postseason. There's no way they would have gotten better goaltending with Freddie Anderson than they got from Auntie Ranta. I do also think that the Hurricanes play a style that lends itself to regular season play. Not that that can't work in the postseason. It will work in the postseason. But their relentless forechecking style in your face, four lines, you know, uh, keeping you behind your own net. That's a great formula for regular season play. And they never take nights off. So you're going to win a lot simply because you out-effort teams. Once you get to the postseason and effort, it's not an issue for either team. Then it really comes down to whose guys score. Power play and whatnot. And that's where I think Carolina falls a little short. And I think Sebastian Ajo had a good postseason. Um, He just didn't score a ton. Uh, I don't think Andre played great, but I don't think he played badly. He just didn't produce. Five points is below what you would expect from Andre Svechnikov. Um, And Seth Jarvis is a year away from being, I think, awesome. Awesome. Um, So I think Carolina needs one more bona fide goal scorer. And they also need... Jarvis, and Svechnikov. And who knows, maybe even Martin Natchez, uh, who I think ultimately will be back uh, to just take another step forward. All of these things flow into the power play. It just needs to be better. It wasn't very good. Um, I don't know. I'll, t- I'll, I'll talk to Rod about it. I'll see if I can get him to change some things. I'd like to see guys with one-timer possibilities on either side. Uh, a right shot on the left side. A left shot on the right side. Svechnikov playing on the right eliminates the one-timer. That's where you see Stamkos. She sees Zibanejad. That's where you see Ovechkin. Uh, on the left side, they've got guys who can shoot. Ajo's over there uh, a lot. Teravainen is often over there. But Jarvis on the right side, again, eliminates, or Natchez eliminates the one-timer. And then there's a bunch of guys who are going to be back or not be back. Uh, Trocek, Niederreiter, Natchez, D'Angelo, Bear, Stepan, Cole, Smith, Domi. Stephen Lawrence will be back. He has nowhere to go. Um, But there are 10 restricted or unrestricted free agents and a lot of decisions to make. And I'll just leave you with this before we turn it over to Corey Lavalette and Sarah Sivian. In my opinion... The Hurricanes are not going to dip into free agency, whether it's their own free agents or outside free agents, for a long contract. So, in other words, uh, I think Andrew Kopp is a free agent. So, I like Andrew Kopp. And even if his contract demands were reasonable, let's just say, for instance, $4 million a year, I think it'll be higher. Um, I don't think the Hurricanes would be willing to go more than two years on anybody. Because think about what's happening two years from now. Seth Jarvis's contract comes due. Brett Pesci needs a new contract. Sebastian Ajo, Tavo Teravainen. All those contracts are up two years from now, after two more seasons. So those players, Ajo's going to get a little bit of a raise, not much. Let's just say a million. Taravainen might get a little bit more. He might get all the way up to seven. 
Pesci, is it just over four? Is Pesci going to be five and a half, maybe six? Yeah. Jarvis is going to go from less than one to what? Andre right now is at 7.75. In two years from now, Jarvis might be demanding more, depending on his development. So if you go one, one and a half, two, that's four and a half for those, the first three, and then let's just say eight for Jarvis and get him all the way up to nine. I mean, roughly. Now you're talking about, what's that number? Talking about 13 and a half million. So my guess is anywhere from 12 to 14 million additional when those four contracts come due. I don't think the Hurricanes want to have anything on their books beyond two years. And remember Jacob Slavin's the following year. Also, two years down the road, it's Brady Shea, who I think I think his number will come down if he stays. I don't think it'll go up. Um, so there's a lot of things that they will have to consider. And hopefully by then, uh, there will be other young players in the mix. Uh, by the way, Jack Drury is going to be due for a contract uh, two years from now as well. And Jack Drury is going to be part of this team. Um, so we'll see how it develops, but uh, in terms of free agency, I wouldn't think anything beyond two years. With that said, because uh, I have friends in high places, it's time to turn it over to our friends. I'm excited because Corey Lavalette is here, and uh, we have done this before, North State Journal. Uh, editor, covers the Hurricanes. And, Corey, I don't know if you knew this, but we have a legit national celebrity in our midst. Sarah Sivian from The Athletic covers the Hurricanes, but also part of the Lebitard Podcast Network with Too Much Men. You're 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 a, a celebrity, Sivian. Oh, God. No, 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 no. I am just a local woman. <laughs> Local woman, but you're back in Raleigh, so uh, so th- I'm glad you came home just for this. I am I am honored that you're able to do this. All yes, right. it's an exclusive. <laughs> uh, let's let's get to because I think we're all we're probably all going through a little bit of FOMO watching the Rangers and the Lightning. We would have all liked to have been in Tampa the last couple of days, um, especially as from in my perspective, uh, I knew I wasn't going to travel until the third round. And I'm kind oh. of well. It's all right. It's it's the it's the deal I made to even you know be allowed to travel. Um, not to mention traveling is a pain. So I will start with you, Sivian. What went wrong? Oh God. Well, I thought, and you can get into this later, but Rod Brindamore, and I know he just kind of said this in passing, but it's kind of the first time he alluded to something like this that he speculated is the team missing an elite goal scorer, and I think. Maybe we all thought that Nikov or Ajo were going to break out this postseason and be that person, but they were kind of disappointing. So I would say you can't blame Ranta or Kochekov when Freddie's out. So you can't hang your hat on decent to above average goaltending. I think it's needing to score more. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's needing goals and it's needing to be as good on special teams as you are during the regular season and they weren't in either case yeah it's funny because i what rod said i tend to agree with and i think we kind of found this out maybe in the last 30 games of the regular season 
where they would pile up a, a bunch of scoring chances and a lot of really good chances. And depending on which, you know, analytic site you're using, I've kind of fall back on natural stat trick, which I'm not always in love with, but, you know, tons of high danger. Rod calls them great A's and very little goals. And, I mean, I kind of agree with him. I think that their best offensive player, Aho, isn't necessarily an elite goal scorer. He's just a great player. They never use him in a shootout, uh, which is kind of a... It, it, that's like, we all remember the Eric Stahl days. Did Eric Stahl ever go out in a shootout? No. He never, yeah. di- never did. So Aho, you know, that's kind of where we are with Sebastian. And I don't disagree with Rod saying that they need another elite goal scorer, or maybe they just need more volume, but it's hard to get more volume than they had. So, If, if you were allowed to do wraparounds in the shootout, Eric Stahl would have been in the shootout more often. Natchez, well, would, be, uh, Natchez would be in the shootout. Yeah. No yeah. offense to Ajo, but we've all seen his breakaway attempts, and they generate more second chances and stuff, but he's not doing the high danger there. Right. And that's how he scored in game one. It was a, it was a rebound off his breakaway. Exactly. So, I don't know how they address that cheaply. They really don't. Who do you think yeah. their best, Sarah, who do you think their best goal scorer is? I mean, it depends on the day. Um, I think Svechnikov when he's on, but it's kind of good fetch, bad fetch situation. I'm saying Dave when he uses his like that's an underrated kind of crazy thing and when you actually ask that question not who's their best player who's their best goal scorer it really is it makes you think and makes you really wonder what they can do to fix that Corey who's their best goal scorer I mean I don't disagree I mean I maybe the most dangerous guy the problem is he's not a, a shoot first guy and Natchez has a great shoot but he's not a shoot first guy so while Svechnikov is not a, a sniper per se, I say he's the guy who's got the the upside to do it. Uh, um, so I know that it was a like like Sarah said, a good fetch, bad fetch, kind of an up and down year for him. But to me, he's the he's the if you stay in house with this, he's the key. If he can elevate to another level, he's the key. Jarvis, maybe. Ah, that's where I was going to go. I'm, I'm not sure the answer isn't Seth Jarvis. At, uh, at all of age 20, won't be 21 till next fe- next February. I'm not sure he's not the answer. It's exciting. It's exciting to see, especially I love the way he's kind of won over Rod. You know, it's like that doesn't seem like it happens so too often, and especially with how stacked the roster was. Well, I mean, how deep. I think. The problem with the Canes, the existential problem is it's always a deep roster, but is it stacked? But I think there wasn't much room, and they made it for him, so he showed up. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it cost. It had to cost somebody ice time, right? And then when they got Max Domi, it had to cost ice time because they were going to keep Max Domi in the lineup. We can discuss that uh, as well. But uh, when when Jarvis had to stay, and then when Nino came back from his initial ankle injury. I mean, it costs Derek Stepan, um, and at times it costs Stephen Lawrence. Um, you know, it's funny. I go back to the uh, to the game where they had to make the decision when Nino was going to come back in the lineup, 
And I really thought the guy who needed to come out was, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi. Um, But they were, I mean, I keep calling it for political reasons. For political reasons, he was never coming out of the lineup. And he wasn't coming out of the lineup, even if he did deserve to come out of the lineup later in the season and in the postseason. Um, I know you, I I actually read uh, your, I think it was your bag of jerks, Sarah. You talked about that you wouldn't have offer sheeted. Code Kinniemi. I didn't have a problem necessarily with the offer sheet. I think I had a problem more with the, maybe not even the contract, but my, un, not understanding, but my thought process is that everything was decided beforehand and that he was never really made to earn it, which is unusual for this team. How do you read that? Yeah, I think in a few years, we might look back and say this age well, especially with the cap rising and it's pretty cheap for a center. But I, I also think we might look back and this is their golden opportunity to win the cup and they're kind of handcuffed with the $6.1 million. They can't go out and get a legit goal scorer at the deadline. So that's what worries me. And then I think the pressure, I'm not saying this is a bad player or a bad kid, but I do think the amount of money spent on a current third or fourth liner who's not producing just wasn't hitting right for me, you know? Corey, what, what's what's your read on on what Jesperi Kotkaniemi actually is? You know, I, I think this team may be better than any other team in the league, really does a good job with the salary cap and planning things out, looking ahead, you know, more than just, okay, can we be at the cap this year and can we get under the cap this year? Now, things were a little different this year, like you said, because of the, the offer sheet, but then... You look at this deal, and I think he's a good player. I mean, I think, I think you know, for all the, you know, talk about, oh, he didn't earn what he made, well, that's, you know, let's, let's revisit when he's making $4.8 and he's playing within 12 minutes a night, which is what he'll do next year. But when you look at this, you know, Sarah alluded to this, if you look at this down the road, and, you know, Jordan Stahl makes $6 million. He's got left on his deal and then he's up now you know if jordan wants to play he's going to be a hurricane right. he's not going to be a six million a six million dollar hurricane after this year that's for sure um so all of a sudden you've gone from you know you have jordan saw making six million this year and coach Sammy making 4.82 uh and then trocheck probably walking away to the year after that all of a sudden maybe jordan makes half of that you know maybe yeah. he makes three million or he makes four million and all of a sudden you're spending you know less than you know eight or nine million on these two and it suddenly doesn't look so bad and you know like i said it's so hard to judge a kid who and this is no knock on even lawrence or Derek stepan or jordan martin or anything but he didn't play with guys who are going to help him score a lot of points now yeah. yes he played on the power play and yeah, you should probably put in, be putting a point on the power play, but Rod leaned a lot on his first unit that he won't call his first unit. Um, <laughs> so I feel like, you know, there's an opportunity there. You know, you know, Nino Niederreiter didn't score on the power play either this year. And he had a great year because he scored at even strength a lot and, you know, played on a line that really dominated. And he had good line mates. And I don't know that yes, Barry Kokiniemi had line mates that equal 
what he's capable of. And I think we're going to learn really quick next. You know, the only time he really did was when he played the wing, and it was clear that was a yeah that was a mistake um, to, to try that. He's a guy who's going to be effective in the middle, and that's that. So, and if for whatever reason this doesn't work out, this is not an untrue. Let me play devil's advocate here uh, with Kokiniemi. In terms of, like, I know it's a small sample size when you're talking about the postseason, but the Hurricanes played 14 postseason games, and he was playing with either Max Domi or Martin Natchez on his flank. It was mostly Domi. Uh, and, you know, Jordan Martinuk or Stephen Lawrence or, or, or whomever was playing also on a fourth line, but they were playing against third pairs. And they were playing against fourth lines. And I was kind of shocked that we didn't get any, no goals, and just two assists in 14 games from Kokaniemi. I thought that Carolina's depth would have shown up with the Trocek line who was getting third-pair matchups or third-line matchups and the fourth line. And that was really not... That never really happened. Trocek scored his goals. But we never really got that. We never got that advantage. And part of that, I don't know, maybe Kokaniemi was just kind of wrapped up in his own head. Um, he scored, I mean, he had only a goal and two assists in the first period of the final game against the Devils. So, I don't know. I mean, is, is, is it unfair to have expected the, that fourth line, which wasn't a traditional fourth line, to have done more? No, it's not unfair, and I know you have your thoughts on Natchez, but I do think when you've got somebody literally waiting in the wings who also wants to play center, and it's it's obvious why, well, Natchez had a rough season for yeah. sure, but I think part of that is he felt like he was getting shafted, and it felt like maybe Kokaniemi is getting all these opportunities to do something, and he that's why I think he should be expected to do something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at, I have a hard time with this because it's, you know, we talk about the playoffs and yeah, he had two points and he didn't have any goals, but he played like nine minutes a night at even, at even strength. And with all the penalties that happened early in the yeah. postseason, a lot, of, a lot of times that was, you know, playing a minute shift three minutes into the first period and then not playing another shift until, you know, seven minutes left in the period and just, so, it, you know, Rod is a big fan of talking about getting players in a flow and getting, yeah. you know, rolling lines and all that. And I just think, you know, for the, it's interesting that you compared it, Sarah, to, to Natchez because while, you know, Natchez didn't, Natchez got opportunity too. I mean, he certainly, there were a lot of people calling for him not to even play. Now, I, it's hard to fit that kind of skill, I think. Um, and, I yes. think we all know that if he gets going, he's capable of taking over a game. Mm-hmm. So that was that was, and that's a, that's a skill that yes, Barry, I don't know has at at this point. He's not a game breaking type player. He's kind of, I mean, he's not that different from how Jordan Stahl plays in a way. You know, he's good in the corners. He's crafty. He can hold on to the puck really well. But he's not the fastest guy. He's not the most skilled guy. Doesn't have the greatest shot. All of that stuff. But you know, he's he's probably you know, a, more of a jack-of-all-trades than a guy who's going to blow you away with his skill. And I just think 
it's really it's really really hard to judge somebody based on that when there just was so little flow to his season and to his you know in the playoffs and just everything it's and that's why I mean I think you probably start the season with him as your number two center and see where it takes you and all of a sudden if you're playing with you know I don't know what's going to happen with Natchez but if you're playing with Natchez and you're playing with you know someone else you know whether it's Jarvis or whoever all of a sudden you probably look a lot better than if you're playing with uh Jordan Martinuk or Derek Stepan or or even Max Domi. I will I will take uh will take no Derek Stepan slander from you Corey Lavalette. Uh, I am uh, I'm captain of the Derek Stepan fan club, even though it is probably going to be just a one-year cameo here with the, with the Hurricanes. Uh, to Kokaniemi, um, react to th- this is a hot take, sort of. The four point eight million dollar eight uh, eight year deal is either a great contract because he's going to outperform it, or it's a terrible contract because even if he's just good, then it didn't need to be eight years. Uh, that four years at that would have been much better. It's kind of concerning to me that he took an eight-year deal at $4.8 because to me, if you think you're going to be really good, you're going to be really underpaid in about three years. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Well, I guess we'll see what happens, but uh, you know, I, I think three years in Montreal will do damage to just about anyone. <laughs> and, you know, especially with the expectations that come with being a, you know, a top draft pick. I, I think the idea of getting out of the maelstrom and, you know, you look around and there's a bunch of fins everywhere. And there's a, there's a coach who's, I, you know, I think understands players better than most coaches. Uh, you know, reading about the, the Bruce Cassidy yeah. stuff. You know, it seemed like it sounded a lot like Rod, where he, you know, oh, he asks a lot of his players and it wore thin, but Rod seems to be better at towing that line than most coaches. And I think, you know, there's value in that stuff. And, you know, either, you know, these contracts, either they look brilliant or they look terrible. And that's, you know, that's your point. Like, we look back at Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci mm. and we're like, what, a, what amazing contracts. And then we look at Victor Rask and we say, what could have been? And, you know, that's. Mm-hmm you know, we're kind of in the same boat. Yeah, there's just, it's not happening in a vacuum. There's so much context around everything. And right now, the only reason, I mean, looking back, depending on what he does too, even if he's not a one or two C, it's, to me, the big question is, did he handcuff the team when they could have gone for a higher scoring person Mm -hmm. during a playoff run? You know, that's the number one question. Yeah, I think they believed I think they believed that they needed him even though they kind of wanted him and I'm sure there was something vindictive about it uh but they went about the business of overpaying the player right away which is something that the Canadians did not do when they offered she did Sebastian Ajo uh because to be perfectly honest 8 million a year was probably the right number for Ajo at that point and 8.45 ain't that different from 8 <laughs> so if they really wanted to keep Aho, they would have offered him nine and a half for ten, and they didn't. Right. Do that. Then they didn't do that. So 
um, which was, of course, lost on all of the people who write for the Montreal Gazette. Uh, but that's uh, that. That's another matter altogether. Let me let me kind of just go back to the team, and this is sort of a second area, because Sarah, you referenced the depth of the team, and I do think that the beauty of what this team did this year—116 points, 52 wins, third best record in the NHL for the second straight year—was in that they 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 just kept coming at you. It didn't matter which line was on the ice. They played kind of the same way, with the one exception being the Ajo line a little bit. But they were good at forechecking too. But they just kept coming at you. And maybe that's a really good recipe for the regular season. But in the postseason, it ultimately comes down to how your best guys do at scoring goals. And maybe it's just maybe the formula that they've got just needs another element, or maybe they need better luck, which has been floated as a as a legitimate theory as to why they didn't win. How many posts did Aho hit? How many posts did Teravainen and Svechnikov hit in the postseason? I know posts get hit, but they seem to hit a lot of them. Is it is it possible that they're just a good regular season team? I think about what Ian Cole said before Game 7 in Boston that you don't want to leave it up to chance in a Game 7. And to me, the the story there is that they could they had many opportunities to close both series out and they left it up to chance. And then, yes, I do think chance and luck factor into these and they were so close. But that's kind of the problem. They're so close and not dominant. Like, we needed a dominant performance out of this team, and we never really got it. Well, that's true. <laughs> we never did. Nobody. No no player, no single player dominated, uh, except, I think, for the most part, when Jacob Slavin was on the ice, he, he kind of dominated. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I just, well, I, I, Corey, you have uh, thoughts on that? Well, well, something that got lost a little, I think, in the postseason is that Tony really dried up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I don't know, you know, we didn't hear anything about an injury or anything, but, you know, his April wasn't, wasn't good. You know, he was, I think he had six points in yeah. 14 games. Uh, and then his postseason wasn't great. And so to me, he's such a catalyst for what they do. And, you know, I think, you know, Dougie was the same thing for them. Um, and I think everyone wants to attribute it to the same thing that, oh, neither of them are playoff performers, so to speak. Um, I hate to get into this whole mix because it's such a hot-button thing, but to Rod's point, Tony does have a, a, a fight in him that maybe Dougie didn't. Now, I think Dougie's a, a more talented player, and just all the way around, you look at size and skill and all that, and I mean, it's... It, Dougie has things that Tony just can't replicate because of, you know, size difference and all that. But I don't know that Tony wilted in the postseason, maybe the way Dougie did uh, in some series. I think it was more of a, because, you know, like I said, his April wasn't good either. So I think it was more of a funk than it was a, oh, it's playoff time and Tony's not going to show up. And I, that's, I kind of wonder about that aspect of it. And, Obviously, we're in for an interesting negotiation there. But to me, that's a really big key to all this is if Jacob Slavin's your number one 
defenseman and he's not willing to be an offensive defenseman and that's fine like what he does is amazing you see flashes of he could go out and dominate offensively if he wanted to yep. uh but he's so geared toward i want to take care of my end first that that's not it's not a priority for him that you need that second guy with him to produce all the time i feel like and jacob had a great year i mean 40 points is great for a guy mm-hmm. who's not out there trying to be an offensive defenseman. Right. Um, but I think, you know, that that spot is so key. So now you need to decide, is Tony the guy that can do that all year long for you? Scott Morrow's in the pipeline, and I think that's the, you know, that kid looks like a, the real deal kind of thing. Do you get Tony for a few years if you can and wait for him or – are you willing to commit to Tony and, and roll the dice on that? It's all of that to me is a really interesting side point to all this scoring questions. Cause I think a lot of it is generated from defense from the hurt for the hurricane. And actually it's going to uh, help us kind of fold into another area. I would just say about D'Angelo, he had eight points against Boston and I think one against the Rangers might've had two against the Rangers so it was really a tale of two different series and really two different places because nobody was really good in Boston, although I would argue that the Hurricanes were the better team in Game 3, didn't win the better team in Game... Well, that maybe not so much Game 3 because they fell apart early in Game 3. The shorthanded goal by Coyle uh, really turned the game and the series around. Uh, but until the DeBrusque power play goal, I mean, Carolina was, I thought significantly better than Boston in a 2-1 game. And then it just completely unraveled in game four and penalty after penalty after penalty. Um, right. Like the series could have been completely different. Um, real real quick, what, are, what were your thoughts on the end of the second period, the challenge of the goal, of the DeBrusque goal, uh, and all of that. Cause I'm, I am literally, I'm, I've had plenty of conversations about this. Uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts were about that. I think it's a crap shoot. Right. And I, I kind of liked Rod's take on it, I guess, where I, I don't know, like you saw the goal that got whatever it was in the, in the beginning of the series. And it's like, why not take a chance on that then? I don't know. I don't like, uh, my thoughts on this are always going to be we need to take a look at the rule book and we need to vote on more specific rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Corey, what, what, what are your thoughts? And then I'll, I'll kind of I'll put a punctuation on it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, Sarah's referencing the Niederreiter goal that got yeah. waved off. And then and then, you know, both Rod and someone else in the team told me, like, I would have bet my life on that being Mm -hmm. (laughs) ruled a no goal. So it's such a hard thing. And, you know, if it's a no goal there, um, like it was in the Rangers series, and it turns the game the right way, then we're not talking about this so much, you know? And it just became kind of a weird thing. Now they end up winning the Boston series, so it ends up being, you know, I mean, unless we want to make the argument, like like the ESPN broadcast that Auntie Ranta got tired by playing too many games. Um you know, I don't know that that really ends up factoring in why they blame out against the Rangers, but um, yeah, it's a, they've been pretty good about 
challenging stuff. And I feel like any time they've, you know, done it, they're usually, I think they're usually in the right mm-hmm. most of the time. And it's just one of those weird, like Sarah said, something needs to happen with the way we deal with goaltender interference, whether it's, you know, to me, it's like, do we make a smaller crease with a second line outside of it that, you know, if you're in the smaller crease, you can't touch the goalie or what? Like, I mean, we obviously can't go back to foot in the crease rule because that didn't work. Uh, But there's got to be some way to handle this because, I mean, goalies are getting plowed over too often and, you know, the pitchfork rule is weird and then, you know, God, don't get me started on the Blake Coleman thing and, uh, you know, the high stick the other night in the game and just it's amazing. All right, my my quick read on this is uh, video told us there was nothing conclusive in the video, no matter what anybody says. Um, even though, even if we all agreed that Jake DeBrusque and maybe even Patrice Bergeron behind Brett Pesci caused all of the movement, there was just nothing that was definitively uh, obvious about the video uh, that was going to overturn the call. Whatever the call on the ice was, I think it was going to stand. My my whole point was, you were a dominant five-on-five team in that game. I would have taken 2-2 going to the third period and trusted my team to win that game in the third because unless Boston was on the power play, they were doing nothing. And that's what I would have done. But I also understand why you wanted to keep it 2-1 uh, and you thought you would win the challenge. That that was just my read on all of it. Sarah fixed the power play. Got well, fire Jeff Daniels. <laughs> I know, right? People think who they're like run, who, who doesn't even run the power play. Right. Yeah. Rod Brindamore <laughs> runs the power play. <laughs> People think they are absolutely like inventing I, I don't even know. They think they're the smartest thing in the world when they say they need a power play coach. Like I, I think it's a, to me. I, I would like to see less in a, of an umbrella scheme and more of some cross-ice passes. But to me, it's also a microism. I think about Tampa, and I think about the reason they're so good on the power plays because they have so many weapons. Yep. I think you need more weapons. That's what it is. <laughs> Doesn't it sound and, and easy? They, I agree with you. And they, have, and they have continuity. I mean, that's the other thing that I think gets lost in all this is Boston's power play was not that good this year. I mean, it was middle-of-the-pack NHL, but you get into the postseason and you know mm-hmm. that Bergeron, Pasternak, Marshawn, McAvoy, they all know where each other are yep. at all times. Yes. And good point. So, you know, I'm not saying, oh, just be, I'm not going to give you the Peter Carmanos be patient. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, I think it is worth noticing that Sebastian Ajo and Tavo Teravainen do a good job together. Uh, you know, on the power play. And if you keep Andre Svechnikov there, those guys are going to figure it out. And I, I, maybe I'm too much of an apologist for Andre Svechnikov, but I can't help but look at Nathan McKinnon's career arc and look at his first four seasons. And he was really good as a rookie, but I mean, he didn't, he didn't even score 25 goals in his first four seasons, never broke 55 points ever. And then he explodes to be basically a 90, you know, a 90 point player since. And I can't help but think like, man, these two are, you know, one plays center and one plays wing, obviously, but man, these two are really similar players in their 
just everything they do on the ice. Like they're not just goal scorers. They're passers. They're physical. Mm-hmm. They're fast. And I can't help but think like, man, there's another gear for this kid. And if that switch flips next year, we're not talking about any of this. Because <laughs> all, right. all, all of a sudden, if Andre Svechnikov's a 90-point player, uh, Sebastian Ajo's going to have 10 more points, you know? Easy. And, You're absolutely and right. So, you know, you know, uh, whatever it is, something both raise all shifts, whatever. <laughs> a rising tide <laughs> raises all yeah, Right, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> I think we have, like, we, a lot of the times it's like, oh, this happened to everybody in the league, but not this guy. Like, he's going to be a butt. Like, you know what it is? Like, if you look at Nathan McKinnon and the abs and their trajectory and even what has happened to the – not the Leafs. Oh, God, that was a Freudian slip waiting Whoa. to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Lightning. It, it, it is a process to learn how to win in Ajo's 24 and Seth is 22. Like, these guys are pretty young. Yes, v- very young. And by the way, the uh, the McKinnon, com- uh, you know, comp, and obviously they're not the same player. Uh, watching Nathan McKinnon skate is... I mean, it's not that different from watching Connor McDavid skate. Uh, those guys are just like exploded out of a cannon. Um, but it also, how about Brad Marchand's development? Um, suddenly he went from, you know, depth guy, not that Svetch is a depth guy, but he went from th- like third line checking winger to one of, if not the best left wing in the sport. So, uh, and he's a dynamic offensive player. So it would be great to see uh, that kind of explosion from Svechnikov. And it would, it would create, Aho would have at least 10 more points. So would Taravainen. I mean, they all would, and it's it's. I think it's almost fair to go that Andre has you know has the key to a lot of guys' future because he is such a dynamic player. Uh, so let's close in this area with Sarah Sivian and Corey Lavalette. And by the way, what I, you know what I what else I've noticed is that on Twitter, you both just end with the V at Sarah Siv at Corey Love. Whatever, whatever that matters. Um, yeah, I, just it's. I, I should be lobby or something. No, no, busy and lobby. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Uh, I'm just going to run down a list of the UFAs and RFAs, and you guys can tell me yes, no. What would the right number be? I don't care. Uh, let's start with Vincent Trocheck. Sarah, is he back? No. Yes. What's the number? <laughs> no, he has their number. I am saying he's not back. Um, and that's going to be a problem for the Kings because he's been so good. But I, they have too much center depth to. I, I think they take Nino over Trocheck because of you know it's going to be probably less expensive, and Trocheck has earned a raise, which really stinks for them. Mm-hmm. Corey, now he's gone. Yeah, I think this team looks so much at age curves and things like that. And you know if. Vincent Trocheck was 6'3 and 230 pounds, they'd probably be okay with it because those guys tend to age pretty well in the middle. But a smaller center who's already, you know, in his late 20s, who's going to probably want at least five years, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think he's gone. Uh, I think he's gone too, and I think it's probably because the number is oh, six and a half times five, maybe even more. He's Somebody's going to find money. For a guy who wins faceoffs, can play in all 
in all parts of the game. Kills penalties, yeah. plays in your power play, can score 25 <laughs> goals. I mean, he's probably a 60-point player on a halfway decent team uh, if he's getting, you know, top six minutes. Uh, Nino and Nino, right-handed. And, and, right-handed. and I'll tell you what, that's Rod's going to miss that. You know, yep. it, mm-hmm. it's very possible that next year Carolina has four left-handed centers. Really possible, which is which is part of why I think that, and it'll get we'll get down to it at the end here. Part of why I think I wouldn't rule out Derek Stepan coming back. Um, Nino Niederreiter, Corey. I think he's back, and I think he's back because I think Nino's going to realize that um, the only place he's going to get a lot of years and a lot of money is on a team that probably isn't going anywhere. And I, I think he knows he has a good thing. And I think he also knows that if he signs for two or three years here, he's going to get one more contract and it's going to be when the cap explodes. And, you know, he can probably get close to what he made the last couple years on a two-year deal here uh, rather or a three-year deal here rather than try to get five years somewhere else. And he's the kind of guy that's going to get squeezed in this tight salary cap world. So I think he's back because Jordan Stahl said he should be back. So, so what? <laughs> uh, t- between 10 and 11, over two? Uh, I would be surprised if it was that high. I mean, I... My gut... I mean, I... Yeah, I think five million might be too much, just because I well, don't yeah. know that the market's going to be going to be there for him. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see him making about what he makes now, which is where you're saying, but I could also see him taking a little bit of a haircut to stick around and okay. have a sure thing. I mean, if he signed for two years, nine million, or three years, thirteen million, I wouldn't be surprised. All right. Well, I think that would certainly make it more uh, more enticing to this organization. Sarah, what do you think on Nina? I think he'd be insane to take less than what he's already making for a few years. This is like, we got to, as much as I understand that perspective, I also think he's, this is going to be the best contract he's ever going to get again. Like, and it's his opportunity at this age. And I think, I do think staying with the group has some pull. I'd see something around 5.5 million or less. The Canes would take that and, He'd stay with the group, but I don't think anything less than five million. I, I don't see that happening. Uh, so, are you are you a no on Nino? This is not what you would want, but we're just sort of guessing what will happen. I'm a yes on Nino if I'm a no on Trocheck. Okay, um, I think the answer is no on both um, because I think the team doesn't like Nino at five and a half, uh, and I think. I think the team, and this is this can go for any free agent. I don't think they're looking at more than two years on anybody, no matter who the player is, unless the player is, I mean, a bona fide future star, um, because they're looking two years down the road at Bills coming due, um, Pesci, Aho, Teravinen, and then the big one will be Jarvis because that's the biggest raise two years from now. Um, and Ajo. Yeah, and I mean, Ajo's not going to get that much of a raise, but it's going to go up some. Teravainen, probably the same. Um, Pesci, that's going to go up. 
I mean, I don't know what the number's going to be, but it's going to be more than 4.05. I'm going to guess Jarvis is going to make a little bit more than a million to <laughs> after two more years. Just a hunch. Uh, so, you know, maybe you're talking about an additional $12 million in payroll between those four players on a yearly basis. So I just don't see any free agent contract being longer than two years. Uh, Martin Natchez, Sarah. Sign and trade. I, that's tough. I mean, obviously he's an RFA. We got to remember that. Like people are in these speculation tweets and stuff. It's like, oh, he's going to get, he's going to go. Like they can't, they have to sign either arbitration, which could be a possibility, but I don't he think doesn't have our, He doesn't have our break. Yeah. God, did, no did nature just get screwed or what, Corey? I know. So, yes, sign and trade, I'm going to say. Four years on an entry-level contract and no arbitration rights. That is best. I do. Like, I get his point of view completely. And I think it's just kind of a shame what's happened. And I honestly, if you ask me, I don't think it's redeemable here. It's very possible. Corey, uh, so Sarah says, yes, but gone, sign and trade. Yeah. Uh, Corey, what do you think? If you had asked me this a week ago, I would have said he's gone. I don't know if it would have necessarily been a sign-in trade because I, I mean, the only reason that works is if it's like an eight-year deal instead of a seven, I guess. Um, but I don't know. There was something about the way that Rod agreed with what Natchez had to say at the exit interview, where Natchez said, I, at first, it was kind of a shocking moment where he says, "Well, Rod and I need to trust each other more." And I was like, oh, crap, who says that about Brindamore? And then right. I mentioned it to Rod, and Rod was like, well, I'm glad he listened, because that's exactly what we need. And it was like, maybe these two found some common ground here. And I, I, I don't I was, think, I'm sorry, I just don't think it was ever a problem with him and Rod. I feel like it's management is kind of pushing Kokanami. That's my take. That's my hot take. Mm-hmm. Keep going. No, I, look, I, I, I think you're right. Here's where I... Um, I I raised an eyebrow what Natchez said because uh, there isn't a single head coach in the league that would have kept running Martin Natchez out there the way Natchez was not producing, uh, even when he did good things, uh, which wasn't you know obviously wasn't a ton, but even when he good, did good things, he barely produced. And well, to be fair, this is a question I asked, and I asked him in a way that kind of like this is what is kind of bad about like we all do it like tweeting and i did this too about the same exact quote about like tweeting press conferences and stuff like i asked him do you think your lack of production was a result of you being put on these fourth lines all the time so i feel like that kind of set him up for saying something like this but carry on either way um here's my my feeling was that they would trade natchez because they it's one way to recoup a first round pick uh, but I'm not entirely sure that you could get a first-round pick for Martin Natchez. That I think that more likely he would be part of a bigger deal to bring in a bigger piece, which I guess is still possible. But I think I'm going to fall... Could, Go ahead, Corey. I, I could see that. At the same time, Like I know you want to win a Stanley Cup this year, but could this be the best thing that ever happened to the Hurricanes, that Martin Martin Natchez had a terrible year, that they now sign him for a bridge deal of two years, five million or six million, and and he, you know, 
they gave up on Elias Lindholm because the, the, the dollar sign was too high. Yeah. And I don't think that trade was a bad trade, but I'm sure they look at it and say, man, that guy turned into the player we thought he was going to be. Yep. And could that happen with, with Martin Natchez? Could a, could a switch flip? Could a flip switch? <laughs> yeah, Either way. I like, I like it both ways. And that's exactly what, I'm, what I was about to say, is that I think Natchez is back on a two-year deal worth anywhere from, you know, five and a half to seven million dollars total. And the second year will be more. Um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's two, four and a half, or two and a half, four and a half, and it's a seven million dollar deal. Um, but yeah, because I don't think he's got great value, except that this team knows his talent. And how about this? Nature wants to play center, right? We already know he's a, at least a competent right wing. What if Rod took the entire preseason, I don't know how many preseason games they're going to play, and played him exclusively at center in the preseason? Let him see how it goes. I think that's a great idea. Oh, my God, sorry. The people weed-whacking are literally going into my porch right now. Oh, my God, buddy, I'm producing a podcast right now. Do you even know who I am? (laughs) That's exactly. Use the do you know who I am. All right, I'm in the closet. quick, quick Quick funny story about that. Uh, back when, uh, I was doing, uh, afternoons with Ovius, we were at the SAS championship in Cary, the champions tour event. And we were out there and, uh, I don't try to remember what time of the day it was. It was probably like three o'clock and it was before the tournament even started. Um, it might've been at a, uh, like earlier in the week before the actual tournament starts. And there was a guy, dark complexion, beard, uh, uh, who was out there with a, with a leaf blower. And we were already on the air. And Joe says, I'll, I'll take care of this. And he takes off his headphones and he walks over to the guy and starts speaking Spanish to him. And the guy went, dude, I don't understand Spanish, but if you need me to quiet down, I will. It was oh my god. Awesome. It was amazing. <laughs> J- Joe Joe was just he had that was the first time I've ever seen Joe speechless. Um but anyway, perfect way to in- insert that story in there. Uh so I like that's what I think about Nature's. My my initial reaction was he's gone, but I think he might have more value to this team than he would to another team. Um, I'm going to save Tony D'Angelo for last, and then we're just going to do rapid fire with some other things. Um, Ethan Bear never recovered from COVID. I'm not sure he was ever going to be great, but he never recovered from COVID. I kind of think that they're going to keep him. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I feel like we need to... I hate when people are like, nobody's talking about this, but I do feel like we do need to talk about this more, that he doesn't know if he had long COVID, but he had trouble breathing. I'm like, I, I think the Canes, if I were the Canes, I'd look into that, maybe get a specialist and figure out what are the ways to recover from this and look into that and give him like medical assistance that maybe he needs. And then, yeah, I don't think after saying something like that and after kind of the performance he had, the shock is going to be that high. And I, I think that could be good for the Canes in the way we're saying Natchez is because you take kind of the pay cut and you stay here and mm-hmm. the Canes need to work out their last pairing. So maybe give him another chance. I mean, I really like the guy. I think 
he's a good guy with good potential, also still pretty young. So yeah. it is kind of a gamble, but maybe look into the situation and see what you can do about it. Yeah, I think he's, I, I, I think they're going to keep him. Uh, Corey, what do you think? I think he's tied to D'Angelo. I think if, if it doesn't work out with D'Angelo for some reason, then I think he could be back. But I know the team is just loves Jalen Chatfield. And <laughs> if you bring back Ethan Bear, then Jalen Chatfield is, you know, one of them is your seven. You know, if you bring mm-hmm. back Ethan Bear and, and D'Angelo, suddenly you've got four right-handed guys. Um, so that's the thing that, that jumps out to me is, you know, what, what happens there. Okay. So, um, you know, then, then you still need to add a lefty too. So it's a, I think that's, that's a big thing. I know they think Chatfield's a perfect fit for what they do. And if that's the case, and I mean, hello, $700,000. for the <laughs> right. next Yeah. Couple years. You've got to take some hits somewhere. Yep. Like for sure. Right. So to me, I think that they're both tied to the, I think it's all tied to what happens with D'Angelo here and, um, you know, obviously we'll get to him, but I think that it's a it's a domino effect from there. All right, we're going to be uh, D'Angelo, and then we're going to be quick, and then we're going to let uh, Sarah Sivian and Corey Lava let go. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, Sarah, what uh, what is uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, the Canes are going to keep him. I think he like it's such a rare situation. Obviously, with everything that's gone down, I think he genuinely appreciates them and. There's still, even though it was one strong year, it's still kind of a what like a long term contract. It's still a a bet on him. So I do think it's going to shape up to something like five on five, five by five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Five five times five. Corey, what do you think? I, in a way, I think that this is kind of the same situation as the Nature situation, even though. Tony does have arbitration rights in that he doesn't have a whole lot of leverage here. Like, yes, he had a very good season and that might seem like leverage, but unless somebody's going to come and offer sheet him, um, he doesn't really have a ton of leverage and I doubt he wants to sit out another season. So the, the worst case scenario for Tony and the hurricanes is they can't come to any kind of agreement on something longer and they do the one-year thing, and he can walk to free agency. And that might not be the worst thing in the world is for both sides, especially, I, you know, I've already mentioned, apparently I'm the, you know, president of the Scott Morrow fan club. <laughs> um, I've heard good things about him, too, so. But, um, you know, do you want to overcommit to D'Angelo when you have this kid that looks like the real deal? It's early. I get it. You don't want to you know, you can't go wrong with having good assets for sure. Um, but I, you know, to me, he doesn't have any leverage. The arbitration, pro- he's, he's not going to go to arbitration because the Hurricanes have the hammer of, yeah, you already got a big contract and the other team decided to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't have a great case in arbitration because there's no real comparable to him. And I just think that, you know, either they hammer something out. I don't, to me, I, I don't know if five years will happen. I guess we'll see. Uh, I, I can't help but look farther down the road and think if they give him five years, then is Brett Pesci back at all? Like, or is Brady mm-hmm. Shea 
back at all. I mean, uh, no, I'm sorry, Brett both. Pesci. I'm totally losing my mind. They're both. Um, they're both. <laughs> they both have two years left. I think the ant. Yeah. Uh, it's a fair question on both. I and I think what you're getting at, Corey, is correct. I think uh, it's either going to be a one year deal, or it's go- or it's a two year deal. I mean, I think the max is three, but I actually think it's more likely that it's one than it is three. But I think uh, the two sides might settle on two times four. That's the way I think about it. I think that if if they want, if Tony wants to be here, um, and I'll take him on his word, like he's not going to work for free. He's not going to work for a million. He's not going to work for two million. But if he want to works, if he wants to work for four, I think they do two times four. I really do. Um, that would totally, be smarter. Yeah, we're totally glossing over the return of Jake Gardner too. Oh my yeah. God! I don't know. That's a problem. Nobody's yeah, taking. I mean, nobody's taking that contract. Well, somebody might. You know, well, here, <laughs> you'll have, to, well, you'll have to tie something to it. Right. But. Well, well, what if? I mean, they could send him to the minor leagues. They can put him through waivers and then send him to the minor leagues, right? Yeah, Corey, you're you're the expert on all these things. If the Hurricanes send him through waivers, he clears whatever, however many times he, times he has to clear. Uh, nobody claims him, and then they send him to the minors. If he doesn't report, do the Hurricanes have to pay him? Well, I mean, I think he would report because he probably wants his four million dollars. But, but it still counts on your cap anyway. Well, you would get some relief. You'd get whatever it is, one point three million or something like that, and you know he could go down and whatever. Uh, I think, you know, if he wants to play and it, I mean, if he's cleared medically, I'm going to assume he's going to want his $4 million. Um, They just have a decision to make. You could always buy him out, which, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's the the way this team wants to go. They don't love, they don't love dead money. And it would be, you know, I think it would cost them. Well, let me look it up one sec. It would be, you know, a $1 million cap hit this year and a 1.4 the following year. So they could certainly eat that. You know, it would save them some money. Yeah. Um, you know, the cap, the, the cost would be 2.566, uh, 1.083 this year and 1.48. So, I mean, you just kind of tell them, like, hey, this can go one of two ways. You know, we can, because he has a, a limited or a modified no trade. I think he can, I think it's a 17 uh, no trade. So, you know, I don't think that's going to play a role really because they can just say, hey, this can go one of two ways. You can make $4 million this year in Arizona or, you know, something like that and relive your college days or, um, <laughs> or you know. Literally in the college arena. Yeah, right. Or, you know, we can buy you out and you're going to lose a, a million and a half on this whole thing. Or we're going to send you to the minors and you're going to make your $4 million and you're going to uh, – you know, have to pay higher cost of living in Chicago. <laughs> right. That's very true. All right. F- final thing. Uh, step on Cole Smith, Domi, Sarah, are any of those back? Oh, for me, I'd like to see like how low Cole can go. Like if he is willing to take a discount and I like, I appreciate his honesty so much and kind of what he said in his exit interview that, it is and it isn't like he has won a few cups and he's done that. And like, why not financially pad yourself a little bit more going into retirement? Not that I'm saying he's going into retirement, but mm-hmm. like one on one of his last contracts. Right. So I respect not taking a hometown deal for a team you've been with 
for one year. Right. So I'm going to say no for all those. Okay. Corey? Yeah, I'm going to say no for all of them. I, I feel like there's a small chance that Brendan Smith could be back. Mm-hmm. But then listening to him say that this year was kind of his, I'll take less money to take a run, and maybe that now it's time to maybe, like Sarah said, pad the bank account a bit before <laughs> you punch out. Um, I, I wonder about there, Stefan, as a, you know, is he is he willing at, you know, still pretty young guy. It's not like we're talking about a 37-year-old guy here. He's 31 or 30 or 31. Um, you know, is does he want to take what he would have to take here to – to stick around, I guess. Actually, I guess his birthday is in a few days. Um, he'll be thirty-two. So, um, happy birthday! Yes. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Derek <laughs> Stepan. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I think that'll come down to kind of the same thing of like, all right. I like Stepan. Of those of those four, I think Stepan is back. I like uh, I like Stepan. Um, Are we sure, though, with the way that he just wasn't playing at all in the last series when it was against the Rangers? Yeah. That, I like him, too. Um, unless they can find a right a, a, a centerman with a, a, a right-shot centerman that they trust to, to win a face-off. Uh, that, yeah. that person is not Martin Natchez at this point. Um, I say Derek Stepan of those four is the only one who's back. Um, yeah. But the answer is probably none. But again, I have already admitted to being captain of the uh, Derek Stepan fan club. And well, we call to... me Justin Fault because I'm the co-captain. All right, good, good. <laughs> I, I, uh, I glad <laughs> you're Justin we... Fogg. Very good, solid, Sarah Sivian. Solid. Or that Jack Drury. Jack Drury's probably got a job next year. Based oh no, on there's the no, there's no question. All right. So I, I lied. I'll, I'll, I'll ask this question to both of you and then I'm hanging up. Um, Jack Drury will play higher in the lineup than Jesperi Kotkaniemi by the middle of the season. Corey Lavalette. Yes or no? No. Sarah. Maybe not because of Rod Brindamore. No, meaning because his play will demand it. I know. I, I think Brendan Moore would maybe want him to play higher up, but I do think we got to. Uh, I just I think the Kokniemi thing is very much management has their hands in it. If I have to be totally honest with you, so I don't think Jury's going to play higher than Kokniemi. Maybe not. Maybe not next year. Yeah, I, I think Drury's going to be the better player. I really do. I think I Jack Drury's going to be excellent. I think those are two different questions, and I agree with your second point. Right. Kid's a player for sure. Mm. Kid's an absolute. I mean, we want to talk about Jordan Stahl replacements. He's obviously not, you know, unhuman size, but um, <laughs> as far as as far as how he plays and the the two hundred foot aspect to his game and the smarts and the maturity and everything, yeah, he's going to be. Uh, there's a few guys I'm excited. You know, Jamison Reese is going to be like Brock McGinn 2.0, I think. And mm-hmm. then there's just a few yeah. guys that I'm really interested in. Uh, well, that's for another podcast. Uh, at Corey Love, North State Journal on Twitter. Uh, Sarah Sivian, at Sarah Siv from The Athletic, Too Much Men, uh, nationally renowned podcast, part of the Lebert- Dan Lebertard uh, podcast. Number two network. hockey podcast in America. Keep up, Adam. Are you serious? Well, you know what? I got to 13. Like I got to 13 this year. 
I oh, thought yeah. this was, I thought this was number that. one. Yeah. I, this, is, this isn't number one? This is a great podcast. I, this is like one of the only podcasts I actually listen to. Are you serious? That makes me feel good. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, you're awesome. I'm a huge Adam fan. I've always been. Jeez. You're making me blush. Uh, on, the, on, the, on that note, uh, we have to say goodbye. Uh, at Sarah Siv, at Corey Love. You guys are awesome. I can't wait to see you when, whenever that is. But I haven't seen you guys basically all year. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, will, uh, I will see you guys soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, AG. Thank you. And we're done. Thanks to Corey Lavalette. Thanks to Sarah Sivian. Thanks to you for hanging out on the Canes Corner Podcast. A little bit longer edition, but hey, you can break it up into two, ap- uh, two episodes, two dog walks, uh, or whatever you do. Two, uh, two trips cleaning the barn, as I have to go do. Uh, have a wonderful uh, middle of June. Talk to you in about a week. Bye. This has been the Kane's Corner Podcast with Adam Gold, presented by the Aluminum Company of North Carolina. You can listen to this podcast at WRALsportsband.com or wherever you get your podcasts.